Hey guys, check out our new podcast. Do your clinics tend to run late? Do you feel frustrated by inefficient systems at work that make no sense, or being given work that you shouldn't even be doing? I'm Munir Adam, a working GP and educator. I am acutely familiar with the clinician's struggle. The Clinician's Survival Guide is about helping you get more in your life as a clinician and helping you find practical solutions to the challenges that you face. Every Tuesday in under 15 minutes, I dissect a topic of interest and explore potential solutions. The Clinician's Survival Guide is the free and convenient way for your journey to becoming more productive, better rewarded and happier. So subscribe now and make the change. Hello, it's Munir Adam here and welcome to the first mini episode of Primary Care UK Season 2, brought to you in partnership with Integrated Care Support Services. Today we're going to be talking about the very important topic of cancer. In fact, in this mini episode, we'll be focusing on when to suspect cancer in primary care. What with every two minutes somebody being diagnosed with cancer in the UK, according to Cancer Research UK, and 45% of those, according to a study, were diagnosed at an advanced stage. And we know what that means. And the sobering truth is that one in two of us are going to be diagnosed with some form of cancer during our lifetime. The one thing that everybody agrees on is that early diagnosis will lead to better survival. So this is something that all of us need to know or at least be aware of. And it may be that there are certain aspects of what we covered today that you already know. But a reminder is beneficial for us. Wouldn't you agree? So it's definitely useful for all of us to know when to suspect cancer. But the reality is that having a set of guidelines that will always allow us to pick up cancer early simply isn't possible because there are lots of cancers, lots of different presentations, and the symptoms and signs can very much overlap with lots of other conditions. But it's an important task nonetheless. And to help us with this impossible task, we'll be hearing from Dr. Helen Stedford, who is cancer lead in Newham and far more involved with cancer than many of us are. So let's learn together. You're a first contact physiotherapist and your next patient is a 68-year-old gentleman who comes in, takes a seat and he's a few minutes late. Sorry I'm late, he says. I seem to have to go to the toilet to open my bowel so much more lately. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, and he starts pulling his trousers up so that you can examine his knee for the arthritis that he's come for. And of course, you deal with the arthritis. But what else do you do? Okay, how about this one? You're a physician associate and a 49-year-old comes along for their usual diabetic review. You sound a bit croaky, you say to them. Well, yeah, it's cold out there. With the weather that we're having, it's not a surprise. Although I have to say, I would have expected it to have gone back to normal by now. and It's been about six weeks. And so you complete their diabetes review. But do you do anything else? What about if you're a nursing associate and a young lady comes along for her new patient health check? And while you're checking her blood pressure, you notice that she's got a funny mole on her arm. And let's just have one more example. So you're a clinical pharmacist and you're doing a medication review. And the patient remarks, I hope this medication is not going to cause me to lose weight because I'm having trouble already as it is. No matter what I eat, I just can't seem to keep my weight up. And of course, you complete the medication review in the usual way. The unexplained diarrhea for two months. The unexplained croaky voice for several weeks. The funny mold. And of course, unexplained weight loss. These are all symptoms that hopefully would make you think, could this be cancer? They haven't necessarily come to see you for that problem, and it might not be your area of expertise. 
But if you can just get them to book an appointment to get it looked at, probably with a GP or somebody else who deals with this sort of thing, and if it is cancer, then you may just have saved a life. So as professionals, most of us, yeah, we would be concerned if there's somebody with unexplained weight loss or other unexplained symptoms. I think the underlying word here is unexplained. Obviously, if something's been um, investigated already, then that's fine. But things like unexplained change in bowel habit, voice change, especially if these symptoms last more than three weeks, because a lot of symptoms do get better within three weeks, don't they? They might come along with some sort of lump, maybe a lymph node that's enlarged or some sort of abdominal mass. Or it may be something more nonspecific like pain, fatigue, night sweats, fever. Again, these symptoms lasting for more than a few weeks. And something that I'm sure would definitely get us worried is when somebody complains of blood loss. Blood loss from wherever should at least make us think, could this be cancer? And then get the patient checked by the most appropriate person. And if we're not sure about whether we should be worried about a symptom or not, then we can always re resort to the NICE guidance the two-week cancer referral forms we have in our practices as well, or just get a second opinion anyway. And our speaker, who I'll now hand over to, is going to tell us a bit more about these not-so-straightforward symptoms as well, as well as telling us about the common cancers, because, hey, in primary care, common things are common, so it's worth knowing as much as we can about the common cancers, which she will also talk about. So it's over to Helen. Hello, I'm Dr. Helen Steadiford. I'm a GP and clinical lead for cancer in Newham in East London. And today I'm talking about when to suspect cancer in primary care. So the first thing I want to say is that it's not that easy. Yes, there are the common tumours with the sort of classic red flag presentations, and we can and should work at being better at diagnosing those, picking them up as early as we can. But there will always be cancers that present as emergencies. I'm thinking particularly of a lot of the paediatric cancers, and particularly in my practice, we had a very young man who was admitted with massive hemoptysis, needed emergency surgery, and it turned out to be a primary lung cancer, which you just would never have put money on when you first came across his presentation. And then you've got the very rare presentation. So cancer is one of those conditions that has a long tail distribution. And by this, I mean that there are the common cancers. So the big four are breast, bowel, prostate and lung. And each clinician will diagnose those multiple times over their career. But then you have a long tail of less common and then some downright very rare cancers. A large practice may see only once or a few times in several decades. So a clinician may only see those once in a career, if that. But they are out there. And that is why always having cancer in the back of your mind is really essential. So I'm going to talk about the big four, about the straightforward symptoms, less straightforward symptoms, and then my tips for what to do in practice. Throughout, you're going to hear this sound. And that represents safety netting because safety netting is such an important tool in our diagnostic toolbox. So much of what we see evolves over time and it's the same four symptoms that may be cancer. Okay, so the big four, these represent, yeah, usually at least half of cancer cases. And certainly that was true in the audit in my practice of cancers diagnosed in 2022. Over 50% of them were breast, prostate, bowel and lung. And I'm not going to talk through symptoms suggestive of breast cancer. I think we are very lucky in this country to have one-stop shops. Nowadays, we are investigating all breast lumps. Certainly when I was at the beginning of my training, we were bringing lumps back to reassess after a period. And, you know, that is appropriate a lot of the time. But, you know, women do expect 
to be investigated generally. And sometimes we have seen lumps that appeared only two or three days before the GP saw them. They were referred straight away and they did turn out to be cancer. So yeah, I think make the best of your breast pathways where you are. Okay, symptoms of prostate cancer. This is clearly not as straightforward. Of course, you've got your lower urinary tract symptoms, which are most probably due to benign prostatic hypertrophy rather than cancer. But, you know, cancer is there in the differential. And then you've got asymptomatic cancer cases. The one thing I want to say about prostate is that demographics are really important here. Black men have twice the average population risk of prostate cancer. And any man who has a brother or father with prostate cancer is, particularly if at a young age, is at increased risk. So when you're thinking about investigating the prostate, always bear that in the back of your mind. What is their sort of background population risk? Because that may affect how you counsel someone about having a PSA test. Of course, PSA tests, there's all the caveats about avoiding intercourse and vigorous exercise beforehand. You might got to make sure that you've excluded a UTI. But having said that, always have a cancer in the back of your mind. One little bit of learning, which has been new for me, which is very niche, but it's worth sharing is that transgender women, so people who are assigned male at birth who have then transitioned to become female, do still have a prostate. So if you are seeing a trans woman with symptoms that would make you worry about prostate if they were male, do remember that they do still have a prostate, so you may want to do a PSA. Okay, bowel cancer again. Don't want to rehash things that clinicians already know, but certainly when I was training, there was a lot of emphasis on change in bowel habit. And much less on abdominal pain, but abdominal pain has been found to be quite a key low risk, but not no risk symptom. So pay attention to it when you see somebody with abdominal pain that's persistent. And then lung cancer, again, learning from my own experience, persistent chest pain is a red flag for lung cancer. That is on the two week wait forms. And certainly, um, I remember seeing somebody, we were managing them for pain around their scapula, it was felt to be musculoskeletal, and it was only the third time that I saw them, I realised that they were an elderly smoker and we needed to do a chest x-ray, and unfortunately they did have a lung cancer. But please bear persistent chest pain in mind. One more thing I want to say about lung cancer is non-smokers with lung cancer, if you considered them as a separate tumour group, that would be the 10th most common tumour in the UK. So please don't discount lung cancer just because somebody has never smoked, that you could always have a lymphoma or something in the lung, but um, you can also have primary lung cancers in never smokers. So please bear that in mind. Okay, moving on to the more straightforward symptoms. And these are the classic bleeding, mass, persistent localised pain. Again, not going to rehash a lot of two-week wait sort of pathways. Please have a look at the forms to familiarise yourself with, with the symptoms of concern. But one thing I want to say about hematuria is always consider that it could be an endometrial cancer in a woman, particularly a postmenopausal woman. We have had three endometrial cancers diagnosed in the last year at the practice and two of them presented with hematuria. And so obviously, if it's only a very small amount of blood, it won't necessarily look like PV bleed might just be obvious when they're passing urine. So when you're sending people down a urology pathway, obviously excluding UTI, if they're a woman of a certain age, please always do an urgent pelvic ultrasound scan as well. Now mass, again, if it's a barn door lipoma, then imaging may not be necessary. But if you're just not quite sure, then please do arrange imaging. We've had an awful lot of sarcoma diagnosed at our practice recently. It's very rare, sort of random cluster. It's not going to happen again for a number of years, I'm sure. But they do exist. So please bear in mind about sarcoma. Safety netting, somebody with enlarged lymph nodes, make sure they know 
when to come back to be reviewed if the node hasn't resolved. And if somebody needs a bit of help navigating the system, it's probably best for you to arrange that follow-up yourself. One thing I want to throw in is changing skin lesions. It is worth making sure that you know what separate warts look like. I would always advise getting somebody in to look at the lesion in person because when you can see it 3D, it's obviously often a lot easier to tell whether it's a melanoma or a seborrheic wart. And then again, this is very rare, but in our practice, we've had two cutaneous angiosarcomas in the last five years. These are very rare. I couldn't even find any learning about it in a module that was on sarcoma, but they're basically weird looking vascular skin lesions. If you have something that looks a bit strange, arrange imaging, make sure that you follow up what it looks like. If the imaging suggests it's a bit weird and needs repeating, please make sure you safety net that scan gets repeated. These are quite aggressive. It is best to pick them up as early as possible. And then persistent localised pain that you just can't explain. And even if there is a working diagnosis, often a musculoskeletal diagnosis, just always be aware that it could be a presentation of cancer. I would always advise bringing somebody in in person to palpate their spine if they're presenting for the first time with neck or back pain and you know, they're presenting with it a number of times over a short period. Unfortunately, we have had quite a few younger patients who presented with metastatic cancers of different primaries and yeah, their presenting complaint was back pain and unfortunately they had a spinal met. So always do a very careful examination. Obviously, there's other differentials, particularly in my area, TB abscess in the spine. But yeah, have a chat with your local non-specific pathway clinic or even radiology. If you've just got somebody with a persistent pain you can't understand. So moving on to less straightforward symptoms, and I'm thinking about abdominal pain and discomfort, fatigue, loss of weight and appetite. And the reason I'm saying these is less straightforward is because they map onto multiple tumour groups like upper and lower GI, lung, gynae, haematological malignancies. They also map onto lots of non-cancer pathologies. And in fact, they also map onto, well, mental health pathology and also no pathology at all, just normal variation of life. And this is where safety netting is so key. In this day and age, when we're managing so many things remotely, it's really worth bringing these patients in for a face-to-face exam and document their weight so that you've got something to compare with when you review them again. I want to give a plug for the Gateway C mind map. I don't know the exact address, but if you Google Gateway C mind map or cancer mind map, you will find it. But what the website does is it condenses all the guidance from NG12 on what symptoms need to equate investigations or referral. It's really handy. You put in the gender of the patient and their age at the top, and then you take all the symptoms or indeed investigation findings that they have, like anemia, and it will tell you what pathways they map onto. So for example, anemia is on the endometrial cancer pathway as well as upper and lower GI pathways. So that is another thing that's really important to bear in mind, that cancers often surprise you. You may be pretty convinced it's one tumour site and it turns out to be a different tumour site. It's always worth keeping an open mind and not narrowing in in too quickly on the tumour site, particularly with these less straightforward symptoms. So then investigation is always worth running quite a large panel of blood tests. I mean, not necessarily the tumour markers, unless that's particularly indicated with ovarian symptoms. But for example, raised platelets, raised inflammatory markers that are persistent can be markers for lung or haematological malignancies. And then the other thing to say about investigations, 
make sure that you safety net because abnormal investigations or even if they're just almost normal, it is worth following them up in the context of the patient's symptoms. One thing to say about FIT, certainly in the pandemic, the guidance to us about referring in to lower GI, it was almost like a cutoff, positive and negative, but that is not the way to think about FIT. Even if a FIT is less than the threshold for referral locally, please bear in mind that it still could be a colorectal cancer. Please always safety net the symptoms with the patient. You can also repeat the FIT after about four to six weeks. Even if it remains negative, it's worth getting advice from your colorectal team. And then the thing with safety netting is that it can be really easy now, particularly with the text messaging services that a lot of us are using since the pandemic. You know, you can put in an automated message to go to the patient in a month's time saying, if your symptoms have not resolved, please do see us. So I would recommend doing that as much as you can, just so that you're being proactive as well as making sure the patient understands to come back. So then finally, I guess the thing to bear in mind is anything that is not behaving as normal, it is always worth considering cancer in the differential. For example, we had a lady who has had a rash, sort of a non-specific rash for a couple of years, not responding to any topicals, and eventually it got diagnosed as cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, for which she's now having treatment. So just always bear in mind that if things are really just not quite doing what you think they should, it could be an unusual presentation of cancer, either an unusual cancer or an unusual presentation of quite a common cancer. And don't forget the non-site-specific clinics that now exist. Locally, to me, that's called the Multidisciplinary Rapid Access Diagnostic Centre. They'll all have different names, but these clinics are set up to help us with those less straightforward symptoms. And they will always be contactable for advice as well as accepting referrals. Great. I think that's all I want to say and hope that's been helpful. That's it for today. We hope you found this discussion useful and that it raises your awareness of cancer in your day-to-day work. We are considering covering specific cancers later in the series, and it would be great to know what you think about that idea. Okay, three important messages. First, we believe that podcasting should be interactive. You may have comments you wish to make about something you've heard. You may have something to contribute. After all, we don't know it all. Or you may have a question you wish to ask us. And you can do that by joining our primary care community group on LinkedIn. And a link to that is provided in the show notes. Second, do tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and leave positive ratings and comments on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you can. The reason for that is because positive ratings and increased downloads attract sponsorship from professional organizations and allows us to avoid putting in those intrusive ads that are so often found in podcasts. And finally, if you do wish to sponsor us or get involved in contributing to episodes, you can get in touch with us on our website, primarycareuk.org. But that's it for today. Until next time, keep well and keep safe. UK was developed by Therapeutic Reflections Limited to inform, educate, support and unite the primary care workforce. Specifically, it is not for the general public or patients. All information and advice contained therein is time, location and context dependent and is general advice only. No guarantees are provided with respect to the accuracy of the content. 
The hosts, contributors, and the organizations they represent do not accept liability for any actions, consequences, or effects that result directly or indirectly from the content provided. Please refer to the episode description for more information. Thank you for listening.